Zig Ziglar once said, failure is an event, not a person. Failure is an event, not a person. Now, that's an important distinction to remember because all of us will fail at some point in our life, but failure doesn't have to define us. As we turn in our Bible today to Luke chapter 22, we're going to look at a person who failed. And what we're going to see is the failure he had was epic. And yet it did not define him as a person because when Peter failed, he turned to God and God turned it into an opportunity for this man to grow and to help him uh, to help others as well. And God can do the same things with us. I invite you to look with me now as we read in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verses 31 to 38. Jesus said, Simon, Simon. Behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail and that you, once you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me three times that you know me. And he said to them, When I sent you without money belt and bag and sandals, you did not lack for anything, did you? And they said, no, nothing. And he said to them, but now, whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise, also a bag. And whoever has a sword is to sell his, whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. For I tell you that that which is written must be fulfilled. And he was numbered with transgressors. For that which refers to me has its fulfillment. And they said, Lord, look, two swords. And he said to him, it is enough. So over the last two weeks, we've been lingering at the Last Supper. And here, as we're looking at this passage, it's still that night and we're still at that table. And as we've been looking at the Last Supper, that place that changed history, I hope that you're letting God change you as we're looking at what has been happening at that table. As we talk about being changed, there's an interesting change of address here. Jesus says, Simon, Simon. And yet you'll remember as you look at Luke 22, 7, there the name Peter was used. Peter means the rock. Cephas was the name that Jesus gave to Peter when he first came to become a follower of Jesus. And as Jesus calls Simon here, it it would have gotten Peter's attention. Uh, Jesus, I think, is saying to him, you're about to act the way you did before you started to follow me. Remember, Simon had been a fisherman, and as such, he had uh, endured many storms as he had been out fishing out on the lake in the Sea of Galilee. And, and what is about to happen is there's a storm coming like he's never seen before. Jesus says, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Now, you can underline that word you there in verse 31 and write y'all. In the, in the margin, because in the Greek text, it's in the plural form. You see, what Jesus is saying is, it's not just you, Peter, but Satan has asked permission to test all of the disciples. The Bible is very clear that Satan can't touch us as believers without uh, first allowing God, allowing us to go through his hands. And so he says, Satan has asked permission to test y'all. Now, Jesus goes on to say, but I have prayed for you. This time it's singular because he specifically focused on Peter. He says, Peter, that your faith may not fail, and and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brethren. See, Jesus says Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Now, everybody in that day understood exactly what this picture was. 
the way that they would harvest grain, whether it was wheat or barley in that day, is they would go out into the fields and they would cut off the stalks and they would bind them into groups. They'd carry them over to the threshing floor and there they would lay them out on this hard rock surface, usually in an elevated area where the wind could come in and blow. And what they would do is they would drag a threshing sledge over it. This was kind of like a, a, a sled that you might go down a hill if you lived up north in. And on the bottom, they would uh, fasten rocks or metal if it was a more expensive one. And what they would do is run this sledge over this cut stalks of, of grain. And, and what it would do is it would shred it. It would crush it. It would break open the heads. And then they would take a pitchfork. And they would, they would take and they would winnow it. They would throw this up high in the air in this elevated place where the wind would come. And it would blow away the shredded stalks. And the heavier grain would fall to the ground. And there they would gather it up. So the picture that Jesus gives here is a very tough process. He says, Satan wants to break you. He's going he's to do everything he can to break you. But I want you to know, Peter, I haven't abandoned you. I'm in your corner. I'm praying for you. As we're reading this, I, I think it's important to point out that Satan is real. Now you may say, well, Roger, I, I know that. But a lot of people in our society don't. We see a comic book that has, you know, this pointy, you know, red guy with pointy horns and a pitchfork, maybe like the, the old Devil Underwood ham uh, can, and people think he's, he's just this, this fictitious character, but he's real, and he's dangerous. And, and Peter would come to find out just how real Satan is. In fact, 30 years after what we're reading here, Peter would write in the Bible the book of First Peter, and in First Peter 5, 8 through 11, he says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Now, Peter, having experienced this himself, goes on to tell us there's hope because he says, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Satan is a fearsome foe, but as believers in Christ, he's not somebody we have to fear. We have to respect him. He's not our whipping boy that we get to command around. But again, as we've seen, he can't touch us without God first giving permission. And God is in our corner. God is standing with us. We're not helpless. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 13 through 18, we're told, Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and, and petition for all the saints. God has not only given us the weapons that we need to stand against our enemy, but he is with us himself. As you read 1 John 4, 4, it tells us, uh, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them, 
Because greater is he who is in you, the Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world, Satan. We don't have to fear our foe. And here as we're reading this passage, we see that God is praying specifically for Peter. But do you know that God prays for you as well? Jesus Christ is praying for each and every one of us here today who are believers in Jesus Christ. We see that in Romans 8.34. It says, Christ Jesus is he who died. Rather, he who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. He intercedes for us. Hebrews 7.25 tells us, therefore he, therefore he is able to, to also save forever those who are near, to, those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is praying for Peter in our passage, and he's praying for you and me this morning, our high priest in heaven. Jesus tells Peter and the disciples, there's going to be a time of great trial and testing. In a parallel account in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 26, 31, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, all of them, not just Peter. You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Here Luke is focused on Peter because Peter is the leader of the group. Peter's the rock, the one Jesus said he would build his church on. And what he tells Peter is, you're going to fail, Peter. You're going to fail, and it's going to be huge. It's going to be so big, Peter, people are going to be talking about it 2,000 years later, like we're doing right now. How would you like that to be said of your failure, right? But he says to Peter, while you're going to fail, it's not going to be permanent. You're going to turn back to me. Now, as Jesus tells him that, you can, you can see Peter there. Remember, they're seated, they're, they're reclining around the table. All the disciples we saw last week were arguing which was the greatest. They're all pointing at each other and wondering who's going to betray him. And as, as Jesus focused on Peter, everybody's looking at him. And Peter's feeling really uncomfortable. And he says, wait, 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 Lord. What, what, what do you mean I'm going to fail? I'm not going to fail. In fact, he's, he says, I'm, I'm going to die for you. And Jesus says in verse 34, no, Peter, you're going to fail. You're going to deny me. In fact, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. Three times. But when you do, you're going to turn back to me. And you're going to be used to strengthen others. You're going to be used to continue the work that I've commissioned you to. Now, reading this should bring us hope. It brings me hope. Because when I read something like this, what God says is, Roger, you're going to fail. There are going to be times you fall down. Now, that doesn't mean we take advantage of God's grace. In another passage in Romans, Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we sin more that grace may increase? And he says, may genoita, double negative in the Greek. Absolutely not. He says, may it never be. But what he's telling us is, we will fail. And failure is not final. It doesn't define us. He says, instead of looking at your past and your mistakes, he says, look at your position in Christ. Let that be what defines you. Some are listening right now who at one point in your life said, uh, till death do us part when you took your marriage vows. And you may be sitting here this morning struggling to pick up the pieces of a broken home. Others here said, I will never be one of those people who struggles with addiction. 
And whether it's food or alcohol or drugs or pornography, you find yourself this morning struggling with an addiction and the shame that goes with it. It may be that you tried to build a business and it failed. It it could be that you failed to defend a doctoral dissertation or to pass a bar exam or some other certification, some test as a journeyman or or something else that you were doing in your life. You may have a, a person in your past, a parent, a boss, a bully at school who said to you, you're worthless, you'll never amount to anything. And you've been struggling with that your whole life. But instead of letting the past or a mistake you've made define you, brothers and sisters, I want you to look at the cross. I want you to look at the cross because when the world tells you you're worthless and God is done with you, God says, oh no, I'm not done with you and you are not worthless. In fact, I thought you were worth so much that I left my throne in heaven to come to earth, to go to a cross, to die in your place, to redeem you, to pay the penalty of death that you and I owed for our sins. God says, you are not worthless. You are worth so much I gave my son to die for you. And when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, God says, let your position in me define you. You are a son of mine. You are a daughter of mine. You are a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That is who we are, brothers and sisters in Christ. It is not what the world tells us we are. That is who God says that we are. And there is nothing you have done or nothing you can do that will ever separate you from the love of God. Romans 8.1 tells us there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It says nothing can separate you from the love of God as you get to the end of chapter 8. Neither height nor depth nor angels nor principalities nor any created thing. That's you and me. Read John 10, 28 through 29. There Jesus Christ said, I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no man is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. God says, you've been placed in my nail-scarred hand and I closed it around you. Jesus said, I... I've closed it around, and God my Father has closed his hand around. And he says, no one can separate you from me. Jesus says, Simon, tonight you're going to fail. And it's going to be huge. But my prayer is that you fail forward. That you use this to impact and strengthen others. That you don't allow this event to define you as a person, but instead you use it for greater glory. And we know Peter did that. We just read a passage out of 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11, where 30 years later he's writing to the believers, hey, listen, you're going to be attacked by the evil one. He's a prowling lion seeking someone to devour. He says, but God will strengthen you. God will keep you through it. You can read Acts chapter 3 where Peter is preaching after the day of Pentecost. Thousands coming to faith through Peter saying, Jesus is the resurrected Lord. Jesus is the way home to heaven. God did not give up on Peter. You can read John chapter 21, where Jesus recommissioned Peter. Three times Peter denied him. Three times in that passage, Jesus asked him, do you love me, Peter? Not to rub salt in the wound, but to restore Peter, because he had done it three times. In 1810, there was a man born by the name of Brownlow North. 
Now, Brownlow North came from a, a, a line of pastors. His father was a pastor. His, his grandfather had been the bishop of Winchester. And Brownlow did not follow in the footsteps of his family. In fact, he kind of lived a wayward prodigal life. He chased all the pleasures of the world. He was a, a decadent man. But at the age of 44, he, he realized the emptiness of everything the world offered to him. And he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And as he gave his life to Christ, he said, I want to devote what is remaining of my life to tell other people the good news of the gospel. So he became an evangelist. And as he was growing in fame and being used by God, one day he was preaching in a church in Aberdeen that was near where he grew up. And Brownlow was sitting on the front row waiting for the time in the service where he would get up to preach. And he was there dressed nicely in a suit. And a a very nicely dressed, conservative-looking lady came walking up. She smiled at him, and she handed him a note. And uh, then she walked over to the side of the church, and she stood there. And and Brownlow uh, opens the note. He looks in it. And what it said is, I know who you are and what you've done. And then it listed off a series of specific sins. And it went on to say, if you dare to go up into the pulpit to preach here in my church... I will stand up and share these things with everyone. Now, Brownlow's sitting there in the front row about to preach. He looks at this note. He looks over at the lady who smugly smiles at him. He folds it up and he sticks it in his Bible. And the time in the service came where he was to preach. He walks up. He comes to the pulpit. He could see the woman standing to the side. And he says... uh, I've been asked to preach today, and I had planned to start a different way. But this morning, I want to read to you a note that I was just handed. And he began to read the letter, which he did word for word. And then he said, every bit of this letter is true. And there's even more that she failed to list in terms of my sins. And then he said, I would like to tell you today about the God who has changed my life and made me the man that I am today. Friends, there are people who will tell you, I know everything about you and everything you did. Our enemy, Satan, likes to whisper in our ear, uh, do you really think you can be used by God? Do you really want to tell somebody you're a Christian? Do you really want to share the good news of the gospel? Because if you do, I'm going to reveal your past. And what God tells us is, while our enemy, Satan, wants to use our past as a weapon against us, when we come to Christ When we give it to God, he can turn it into a tool that can be used for his glory. Brownlow North went on to become, as I said, a famed evangelist. He spoke to more than 12,000 at a revival one time. And God can take our past and he can use it. The mistakes we've made, the things we've experienced in our life can be used in our life and the lives of others. We have a ministry here at Wayside called Redeemed and Restored. Uh, Many of the women will know about it because there are brochures that you can find in the ladies' room in the stalls. Redeemed and Restored is is a ministry of women who have had abortions, who have come to find the forgiveness that God offers. And they now offer a confidential ministry to other women, post abortive women, to say, This thing, this tragic decision you made does not have to define you. It can be used in a way to be uh, glorifying to God and others. There is forgiveness, friends, for any sin, anything we've ever done. 
As you read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, it tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort from which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Peter, Jesus said to Peter and the other disciples, there are going to be times you are tested and you will fail. Peter, your failure is going to be epic. He says to all of us, there are trials that are coming. If you go back and you look at what we saw earlier in Luke chapter 9 and 10, you'll remember that Jesus was sending the disciples out to do ministry. And there he told them, don't take a long staff or bags or other things. He says, you will be provided for. And yet now, as he's preparing to die and go to the cross, he says, things are changing. He says, in the past you were provided for, but now when you go out to do ministry, uh, people are not going to be as accommodating to you. People are going to see you as an enemy. So you need to make your own provisions. You need to take protection with you. He says that in verses 35 through 37. He said, there was a time where people wanted to hear about me, but I'm about to die and be numbered with the transgressors. That's a direct quote from Isaiah 53, 12. Isaiah chapter 53 is where the prophet Isaiah described the coming crucifixion and death of the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I'm going to the cross to die. And because you are associated with me, people are going to hate you. People are going to treat you. In, in hurtful ways. Now, that should again be an encouragement to us today. I talk to believers who are all upset about everything happening in the world around us and the persecution and the freedoms that are being lost. And they're saying, ah, what's going on? And I'm saying exactly what Jesus told us was going to happen. This is exactly what Christ said would happen. We shouldn't be surprised by the attacks that Christians face in our day because Jesus said these things will happen to those who are his and those who are witnesses for him. Jesus is saying these things here because they had trusted him in the past and he says you need to continue to trust in me. You need to continue to depend on me even when you have to deal with difficulties that are coming. The disciples responded, we have two swords. I love these guys. They, they, you know, don't always seem to get it, right? And Jesus said, that's enough. Now, you can read that in a couple of ways. Uh, Jesus may be saying here, some think that Jesus is saying, well, you've got two swords. That's enough to make you be seen as a criminal by the Romans because now you're, you're going to be fighting them and things. Uh, others see this as a rebuke where Jesus is saying, enough of this kind of talk. Enough of this, guys. Next week, we're going to look in depth at what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there we're going to see that as Jesus is agonizing in prayer, the disciples fall asleep. And, in, and then in fulfillment of what Jesus had said earlier about how Judas would betray him, remember Judas shows up with the crowd, a mob of armed soldiers and temple guards and, and, and other people from society are there. This massive mob of, are, are there to arrest him. And when that happens, John 18.10 tells us, Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it, and he struck the high priest, uh, slave, and he cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. 
You know, Peter was a fisherman. Maybe he had this casting motion. He wasn't very good wielding a sword. He goes to to fight, and he he ends up lopping off the guy's uh, right ear. And as that happens, what we see in Luke 22, 51 is Jesus said, Stop! No more of this. And he touched his ear, and he heals him. Jesus heals the man's ear. And then in Matthew's account, in Matthew 26, 53 through 54, Jesus says, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once put to my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the Scriptures be fulfilled, which say it must happen this way? Remember at the Last Supper, Jesus held up a cup, and he said, This is the cup of my blood. He held up the bread and said, this is my body that is being given for you. Jesus has already told him what is coming. He says, I have to go to the cross. I have to die because it is that way that I will save you. As all of this is unfolding, Jesus is in control of everything. The crowds don't arrest the disciples. At one point, he he says, here I am, and they all fall back. He says, let the disciples go. He says, I'm the one who's going to the cross to die. Jesus has told Peter, I'm going to die, and you will deny me. Jesus is arrested. He's taken away by the mob. And then the disciples all run away. The scriptures tell us that only two, Peter and John, uh, continued to follow. Peter followed at a distance. Uh, I want to pick up the story and stay with, with Peter. So let's look at Luke twenty-two fifty-four through 62 here. It says, having arrested him, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. This is Jesus. But Peter was following at a distance. And after they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter was sitting among them. And a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight, looked intently at him and said, This man was with him too. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, you are one of them too. But Peter said, man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another began to insist, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read a passage like this, I think, really, Peter? It's barely been a few hours. You were sitting there at the table. You were arguing with Christ. He told you, Peter, you're going to deny me down to the very detail of denying him. Not once, not twice, but three times. Do you ever think that? Do you read, read about somebody like Peter and go, really? How thick scold are these guys? But what about us? Does this describe any of us? How many times have you read through the Bible where God has said, don't do something, or he's given you a promise, where he said, I will never leave you or forsake you, or I'm with you, or these things are going to come, these trials and afflictions. And when it's happening, we're going, oh, what's going on, God? 
And we forget what God has just told us. What we heard in a sermon, what we read in his word, what we've known about God, we forget his promises. And as much as we might want to blast Peter here, you know, we're just like him. Maybe not even as courageous. Remember, just a little while ago, Peter was going toe-to-toe with an entire armed army. One guy swinging a sword. And, and when everybody except for John runs away, at least Peter's still following Jesus, even if it's at a distance. He sneaks into the courtyard here of the high priest. And, and we see he's, he's a guy just like any of us. It's nighttime. It's cold. There's a fire. So Peter, being weak in flesh, does what we do. He, he goes up to the fire. He just wants to warm up. As he's standing there in the fire, as he's, as he's just kind of trying to blend into the crowd, somebody, somebody looks across and they see him. And it's a, it's a little girl. I mean, this is a guy who was swinging a sword at armed soldiers a moment ago, and now he's, he's scared of a little girl. You ever been there? You're strong and courageous one minute, and then you find yourself collapsing because somebody says something and you're scared to let them know that you're a Christian. You're scared to stand for Christ. Peter says, woman, I don't know him. Matthew 26, 71 tells us Peter leaves that fire and he goes over to a gateway where there's another fire. And there another servant girl confronts Peter. Apparently a man also joins in the accusation because here Peter says, man, I don't know him. Denial number two. In the other gospel accounts, we're told Peter denies it with an oath. It's the old sailor coming out in Peter. He's cussing. He thinks if he throws in a few strong words, it'll make his denial even better. The crowd's not convinced, though, especially when one of the relatives of Malchus, remember the guy whose ear Peter had just lopped off, says, didn't I see you in the garden with him? And others say, surely you are one of them because the way you talk gives you away. As a Galilean, they had a distinct accent. Have you ever been in East Texas and and heard how they speak? Or maybe been up to Minnesota and and heard how they speak? I lived in Iowa. Two of my kids are Iowans. I love Minnesotans. (laughs) He has a very distinct way of speaking. They say your speech gives you away. As a Christian, has anybody ever told you that? Has anybody ever said, the way you talk gives you away? You know, you're different. You don't look like everybody else here at work. You don't don't, uh, act like everybody else here at school. Something's different about you. What is it? You know, the way you talk, it gives you away. Are you a Christian? Or or do we hide that we're a follower of Christ, especially when the heat is turned up? Now, at that moment, it says a rooster crows. And Jesus, who was being taken to his next trial, turns and he looks at Peter. And suddenly, as they lock eyes, as he hears the rooster crowing, Peter remembers. Oh, yeah. Three times you said I'd deny you, and I just did it, Jesus. And it says Peter is crushed. He's broken. 
He weeps bitterly. The Greek word for, for the tears here are the big crocodile tears, heaving, sobbing, crying. Peter runs out. He's broken. <clears throat> now, when we read that Peter, that Jesus looked at Peter, it wasn't one of those looks, you know, you've ever gotten by a parent or as a parent, you know that look you can give a disobedient child that freezes their blood? This, this wasn't one of those looks. It's not one of anger either. It's not one of disappointment. When it says that Jesus looked at Peter here, the Greek word used is emblepo, emblepo. And it's, it's a word that means to look with interest, love, or concern. It's the same word that was used in John chapter 1, verse 42, when Andrew first brought his brother Simon to see Jesus. And John 1, 42 says, Jesus looked and blepoed upon him and said, Thou art Simon, the son of John. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation Peter. As Jesus looks at Peter, it's a look of love. He looks at him, not with a condemning look, but one of love. And it says, Peter remembered. Peter remembered everything that was said. Remember what was said? It wasn't just that you would deny me three times, Peter, but he said, when you have denied me, then you will come back. And you will be used to encourage and strengthen others, Peter. That's what he remembered. He remembered the first time he saw Christ where Jesus looked at him and said, you're no longer Simon, you're Peter, you're the rock. You're the guy that I'm going to build my church on. And he says, Peter, you just failed. You just had a, an epic failure. But this doesn't define you. This is an event. This isn't who you are as a person. You know, as we're talking about Peter here, I want you to remember there's another guy that we don't see mentioned. His name is Judas. Do you remember Judas? Judas was the guy that earlier Jesus had said would betray him. And when they were at the supper, he told Judas, get up and what you must do, go quickly. Everybody thought, well, Judas is just leaving to go pay the bill for the dinner or whatever. They don't know why Judas was leaving. Jesus did. And Judas failed as well. Jesus was betrayed by Judas with a kiss in the garden. He said to him, do you betray the son of man with a kiss, Judas? And Judas also failed. And remember, he had regret for what he did. Peter had repentance. Peter wept bitterly. He stopped, he turned around, and he went back in the other direction as a follower of Christ. Judas had regret for his failure. It says after he denied Jesus, after he betrayed him, he went back, he tried to give the money back to the religious leaders. Here, I don't want this money. And they said, it's blood money. We don't want it either. He threw the money into the temple. And it says he ran out and he hung himself. You can read Matthew chapter 27. You can read Acts chapter 1. Judas couldn't even hang himself right. The rope broke or something happened. He fell forward and it said his guts spilled out. Judas could have come back to Christ and said, I'm sorry, I blew it. I, I need your forgiveness. I want to be a true follower of yours, but he didn't. Instead, he let his failure define him. And it became final. He went out and ended his life. 
But Peter, Peter returned to Christ. Peter was recommissioned in John chapter 21. And he went to preaching to thousands at Pentecost. He went to living the rest of his life for the Lord. Do you remember the boast that Peter made? He says, Jesus, I will be arrested. I will even die for you. And do you know that 30 years later, Peter fulfilled that? Peter died for Jesus. He was given an opportunity uh, by Nero, the emperor of Rome, to deny Jesus. But he said, I will not deny Jesus. I would rather die. And Nero said, fine, you're going to be crucified. And Peter said, I'm not worthy to die the same death that my Savior did. And tradition tells us Peter was crucified upside down. Because he said, I can't die the same way that my Savior died. Peter found forgiveness. Peter returned to Jesus. As we look at the life of Peter today, I want you to look at your own life this morning. I want you to think about the failures, the mistakes you've made. And I want you to ask yourself, are you letting the past define who you are? Or do you see yourself as God sees you? Forgiven. Washed clean by the blood of Jesus if you've come to faith in Christ as a son, a daughter, a member of his family, one who is adopted, one who will be invited to sit with him at the banquet table in heaven one day. As we look at the life of Peter today, you get to decide as you walk out of here today what you're going to do with the mistakes you've made in your life. Satan wants to use them as a weapon against you. Satan wants to have them define you and say that God is done with you, that you can never be used by him. But God says, I can take the mistakes you've made and I can turn them into a tool to be used in your life and in the life of others. As you share the great grace and forgiveness you've found, Failure is not final. It doesn't have to define who you are. God has given us a reset button. You can read in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you hear that? All unrighteousness. The Bible says there's only one unforgivable sin. That's called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And what it amounts to is a rejection of who Jesus is, saying he is not the promised Messiah, not the Savior. That is the only unforgivable sin. That is the sin you will have to pay the penalty of death yourself on judgment day if you refuse to receive his payment in your place. Other than that, God says, I can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And you're going like Peter, wait, 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 Lord. I don't think you understand. You don't know how big of a mess I've made in my life. And God says, oh, I've got it all right in front of me. I know exactly who you are. And what you did. As you read Romans 5.8, it says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus says, while you were at your worst, when you were in rebellion, when you were running from me, when you were as far as you could get from me, he said, I came and I went to the cross and I died for you to give my life, to shed my blood, to wash away your sins. And in order to receive that forgiveness, you just have to turn to Christ. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Then you'll be saved. John 5.24 tells us, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word, the Bible that we're talking about today, and believes him who sent me, has passed out of death and into life. 
God invites you to come into his family, to walk with him today, to find forgiveness. Your past does not define you when you come to Jesus. Your position in Christ does. You are a forgiven son, a forgiven daughter, a child of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you've never received God's gift of eternal life, I invite you to do so today. We're going to end, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray to receive the Lord. There's nothing magic about the prayer. It's just your way of saying to God that today I'm turning from my sin into you. You don't have to walk the aisle. You don't have to raise your hand. But what you do have to do is humble your heart and say to God, God, I recognize I'm a sinner. That word sin means to miss the mark. It means that you've fallen short of perfection, that you've done something wrong in your life. You've lied, you've cheated, you've stolen, you've done something wrong. Every single one of us has. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as sinners, we owe a penalty, a penalty of death. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. But, not a beautiful word, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, if you will come to me, if you will receive my forgiveness, you'll be given the gift of eternal life. If you'd like to do that this morning, I invite you to bow your head and just pray this prayer. You can do it in the privacy of your heart. It's just your way of saying to God, I'm accepting your gift of new life today. If that's your desire, then pray this prayer. Lord God, I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes in my life. And because of that, God, I know that I owe a penalty. A penalty of death. I thank you, Jesus, that you came and took my place. You went to the cross in order to pay the penalty of death, to shed your blood, to wash away my sins. God, I receive that gift today, that gift of grace. I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die in my place, to wash away my sins with your blood, Jesus. And today I accept that gift of new life. I believe you're who you said you are, the son of God. I believe that after you died on the cross, you rose from the dead three days later, showing you had conquered sin and death. And Lord God, today you're in heaven waiting to return to uh, set up your kingdom. And I thank you that I get to be a part of it now as a son or a daughter of yours because I've received you, Jesus, as my Savior. I pray this in your precious name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, there are going to be prayer leaders at the front after the service. We would love to talk to you just to make sure you understand that step of faith you took. And for the rest of us who know the Lord Jesus, may we be messengers of grace. May we be messengers of the good news. Go into the world and share the news of who he is. Share the good news that your past doesn't define you. Your position in Christ does so. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. You're dismissed.